Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. As they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. What's up, girl? Doing it again. What? I I need, like, a nap. (laughs) I just feel like I have been on screech for weeks. Well, it it has been a bit uh, complex Mm -hmm. as far as uh, meeting deadlines and commitments. Mm -hmm. What with the live tour and just the regular production schedule. Is that what you're referring to? It is. Also, uh, today is gray and gloomy and dreary, and it makes me just want to nap and soup all day. Uh, but I have other things I have to do. And have you ever considered napping in soup? I have considered it. Really? Um, yes. Like a nice tomato bisque, I think, <laughs> would be so creamy and luxurious. And I can just feel it between my toes. And amazing for my skin. Uh, I did, however, <laughs> find an amazing story today that I wanted to uh, share. Hopefully, that you didn't you did not hear of this. Okay. Yet. What, did you hear about the the lobster man? No. And the quadruped is horned not, horn. Not even anything remotely similar to what you're trying to describe. Is this is this like a local current events story? Yes. Okay. Okay. So how did you know it was local? Oh, because well, I said lobster man. You said man. lobster man. Yeah. So I just assumed. Um, I didn't say lobster man. I said lobster man. Lobster man. He is a man. Who is who, part lobster. No. He works with lobsters. He's a lobster fisherman. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So this story comes from BangorDailyNews.com, and it is glorious. Prepare your asses. <laughs> okay. Consider my ass prepared for lobster man story. So Rendor is a lobsterman, and he was Rendor. Ren Dor. Oh, his last name is Dor. Okay, because Rendor sounds like a uh, a Jedi name. Oh, I thought it sounded like a meat process. That too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Ren 
door had just set a triple three lobster traps attached by a single line. Don't know what that means. Just because I'm from Maine doesn't mean I fish for things. Um, and he saw something in the water yeah. that he did not expect. He was five miles off mainland Harrington. So, you know, Harrington's down on the coast. He was five miles off the coast. As we say in Maine, down east. He, yeah, for that's, sure. That's down east there, Bob. And uh, gazed out into the water, as fishermen do. Uh, and what did he see? A young deer. In the water? In the water. How far out? Five miles. What? Yeah. A deer? Five? That's... That's almost international waters. So, Ren... Was it a spy deer? What? Oh, you think he was sent here? Maybe he was swimming toward the shore. He he had swam from some hostile nation. You think so? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Wow. He was just getting closer, and we we grabbed him before he got here. Maybe that's it. Did his deer spying activities. Ren, on the other hand, had a different thought. He thought, I'm sure he'd been going from island to island or shore to an island and he couldn't see or got caught in the current or something had happened. He was just going with the flow. He wasn't trying to swim or fight with it. He was just kind of floating. And I'm sure, I mean, he must have been exhausted. Uh, He was floating away from the shore out into the open ocean and I mean, he he must have been out there for hours and hours. Well, yeah, and hours. Five miles from the mainland, even if he was island hopping, right? That's incredible. So the fishermen uh, decided. Obviously, they had to snag this deer, so they hauled the buck into the boat. And they saved him. He weighed about 100 pounds. And there's a picture of him on the back of the fishing boat. (laughs) And they said, um, okay, where is it? He laid right down like a dog. He was beat out, shaking, shivering. I'm sure he was froze. Because it's November in the ocean off Maine. (laughs) That is so down east. He laid right down there. (laughs) Laid right down. I'm sure he's pretty much froze. (laughs) Pret near. Looked out over the water and I saw him out there. You just lurking. <laughs> so anyway, they That's saved great. that deer. I love him. That's fantastic. Yeah. Is that just kind of a little bonus thing that you uh, threw in this episode? Oh, I just that, saw it and I was telling you about it yeah, just now. Yeah, but that's not your topic today. No. What is your topic? Oh, don't you want to just fawn over the deer? Fawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the buck stops here. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I get distracted with you looking at me all doe-eyed. Uh, <laughs> uh, dear, dear jokes. jokes. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you go first, though. Yeah, okay. Yay. I can do that. Okay. Sure. Um, and it, the deer story is nice, too, because uh, this is this is going to blow right by, and you're going to be like, wow, that was short. But I'll be like, oh, but deer story. And you're going to like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that'll sure, make that, up sure. for it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, we're going to talk about worms. Uh, Wow, you even wrote a jingle for it. Yeah. Nice. Worms. uh, Like that. (laughs) That was beautiful. It's going to get gross. All right. So I found a little tidbit the other day, uh, which are my favorite things, little tidbits. And you can go like, hey, did you know blah, blah, blah? And people go, no, what? And Mm. then you're like, yeah. So that's a tidbit for you. Right. And I found a tidbit and I was like, I have to learn more about this magic. Um, (laughs) Magic being disgusting worms. Okay. So flatworms. They are the most simple type of worm, and there are about, hold on to your butts, 
20,000 species of flatworms. The idea that you introduce the topic of flatworms and then insist we hold on to our butts. Those are pinworms. Sorry. Yeah. So there are free living types of flatworms, uh, which do not live off a host. Uh, Big thanks, by the way, for Dominique for gathering much of this information for me. Free living types of flatworms can be found in freshwater, marine, or damp terrestrial environments. And most flatworms are free living. However, some are parasites. They are ribbon shaped and are flattened dorsoventrally. Not sure I've said that right. There are four major classes of flatworms. Um, They have names. And roughly 80% of all flatworms are of the parasitic type. Flatworms are gross. That's a little jingle I just made up. I like it very much. Mm, I like what you did at the end where you made it like, oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's very croony. The planarians live in freshwater. Planarians are hermaphroditic. That sounds right. They're both. Yep. And it has a simple brain, a nervous system, an arrow-like head, and two eye spots. So these dudes have the ability to regenerate. So if they're hacked up, they can be like, nope, new parts, new parts, Just can't stop me, can't stop, won't stop. Like the type of salamander that can regenerate its tail. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's also terrifying. Uh, but it's something that could lead us to learning about a lot of things. The thing is, like, there are amazing creatures all over the place that can do amazing things. And I think it's really neat that we can learn from them. Um, However, I also don't think we should test on them. So I'm torn there. (laughs) Not even flatworms? No. Not even the hermaphroditic ones? That's implying that having both parts makes you less worthy of... No, I'm not implying that at all. I'm just implying worms. Mm. And I wanted to say hermaphroditic. It is fun to say. Mm -hmm. So these guys are scavengers generally, uh, or carnivores, and they're they're pretty harmless, really. They'll they'll just snack on whatever's about, but they're not going to cling to you and make you their meal most Mm. often. Let's talk about everyone's favorite flatworm, the tapeworm. Oh, that's not one of mine at all. The tapeworm can get into a person's digestive tract and grow to enormous lengths. Adult tapeworms can measure more than 80 feet long. That's 25 meters. And they can live as long as 30 years in a host. No way. Yep. That um, That's horrifying mm-hmm. beyond all expectations. A recent uh, story about a man from India uh, detailed how he had a six-foot tapeworm removed mm-hmm. from his innards. And um, I was okay during most of the, the reading about this until they described that they used forceps and <gasps> pulled it out of his mouth. Oh, gross. I heard a story one time of somebody who had a, um, I don't know how long the tapeworm was, but it came out when they were taking a bath. Oh, They were just sitting there and they looked down and like this worm was coming out of their butt into the tub. I mean, it coming out is good. Yeah. But that bath water's done. Time to throw out the tapeworm with the bath water. Do you make, how do you make sure the rest of it comes out and I, it doesn't go back in? I don't know. Do you grab it? I, do you grab it? I would be tempted to, 
but I th- I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. I know that like when I was a kid and we would catch earthworms to uh-huh. go fishing, they would, you know, they'd be out of the hole a little bit and you'd just pinch the worm and the worm would come out because it needed air or something. I don't know. It would come out anyway. Why would it? What, you would pinch it? You, yeah. You just pinch the worm and it would come out of the hole. It, will, it won't stay underground if it's being pinched. Why? I don't know, but that's. That doesn't make any sense. So I wonder. You'd think you'd want to go back in the hole. Right. But it doesn't work that way with earthworms for whatever reason. You pinch them and they come out of the hole. Is it the same with buttworms? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm putting. No, I think riffing's important in this kind of situation. One we and need one to together. As much information as we can. Yeah. I don't know if you pinch buttworms, if they'll come out or not into your tub water. This I don't know yet, but I think we need to fund a study. I bet there's someone listening who knows. Oh, you know there is. There's somebody who has a butt tubworm degree and will let us know. Thank you. Some tapeworms attach themselves to the walls of the intestines where they cause irritation or inflammation. Uh, sometimes they might just pass through you and 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 tootle out uh, into your yeah. tub or whatever. <laughs> um, the thing is, like... Uh, the the tapeworm can get dangerous as it grows and consumes more and more of the host's resources. I would think that if there's anything eighty feet long living in your intestines, yeah. it could be dangerous. Well, I don't I don't know that there there have ever been any uh, records or recorded instances of eighty foot long tapeworms inside of people. Um, but but <laughs> um, I'm curious now, and I'm shocked that I didn't look it up. What is the longest tapeworm that's come out of a person? I found this on the web. About six feet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's gross. That's enough. Mm -hmm. That's taller than I am. Yeah, it's big enough. Yep. So the tapeworm has uh, hooks and suckers on their head. (sighs) And they use them to attach to the intestine wall. And uh, they... uh, they can travel to other parts of the body still being attached to the intestines because of the length that they can grow to. So they'll they'll kind of like keep their one hand on the home base tree, like tag. Was that what I was going for? I don't yeah. know. My hand's on base. Right. They're staying safe in the old innards, but... Um... Yeah. Another parasitic form of flatworm is the fluke, and they are characterized by a well-developed digestive system with a mouth at the anterior and one or more suckers surrounding the mouth. And suckers are generally uh, kept to, like I said, they are used mostly to keep themselves attached to the right. To the host. They're not retrieving fluids necessarily through those little. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's they do that through their um, gross their mouth at the anterior, um, <clears throat> and that's yeah okay. Uh, though sometimes uh, with the fluke, uh, they can end up being affected by uh, Chernobyl, and they end up in a sewer, and then a longshoreman uh, finds a uh-huh. half-eaten corpse mm-hmm. in a sewer system, sure. and they have to report that mm-hmm. to the FBI, and then the FBI comes out to investigate, and they find the fluke-man hybrid, and uh, you know one of them's a little skeptical about what's going on with the. <laughs> Fluke man hybrid, and the right. other one's like, this is definitely a fluke man. And anyway, that was a good one. 
I think I read that study. Flatworms have no specialized circulatory and respiratory organs, uh, which restricts them to having flattened shapes that allows oxygen and nutrients to pass through their bodies by diffusion, which is kind of cool. It, not if it's in my intestines, it's Well, not. no, no, of course not. I would never Don't. suggest that. The uh, digestive cavity has only one opening for both ingestion and egestion. Um, and this is the little tidbit that I found that spurred this whole uh, little moment that we're having together now. So this is the little knowledge nugget mm -hmm. that you're about to impart to us all mm -hmm. that we can drop in at a cocktail party and just... I mean, I think it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Flatworms have only one hole. It's their, their mouth and their butthole. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it does, the, does all the yeah. things, the one hole. Do flatworms French kiss? And is it considered kissing? Yeah, it's also known as some other yeah. things, but yeah, yeah right. um, it's only legal in some states. <laughs> mm. um, anyway, their mouths are their buttholes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> Listen, Reggie, I've been meaning to talk to you about your breath. <laughs> it smells like ass. Yes, yeah, so's yours, Carl. Carl and Reggie, two <laughs> flatworms with bad breath. And it sounds like they work in a professional environment. Well, certainly, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, you have to be aware of personal hygiene, and it's tough to be a flatworm with halitosis. It's true. Another neat thing is that they are bilaterally symmetrical animals. So their left and right sides are mirror images of each other. Mm. Um, this also, they've got the distinctive top and the bottom surfaces, uh, the distinct head and tail ends. Um, as I said, they, they lack that specialized circulatory and respiratory organs. Um, and their bodies are soft and unsegmented, much like my own. I'm just glad your mouth and your butt are separated. <laughs> yep. By this whole torso. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there are a thing called blood flukes. And they... I don't like where this is going at all. <laughs> they spend uh, much of their time in snails. Uh, and then when humans wade in the water containing the snails, they then get infected. Uh, can pass through humans pretty easily, uh, out the feces and back into water. And then more snails are infected. And it's the circle of life. And hmm. it infects us all. It's the dark circle of life. <laughs> um, so where sanitation is poor and... Uh, meat that is eaten is undercooked. Uh, incidents of tapeworm infestations are really high. There are some countries where much of the population is infected or infested, I should say, with the broad tapeworm. And in parts of the southern United States, a small proportion of the population may be infested with what's called the dwarf tapeworm. Um, not as cute as you would think. <laughs> in uh, Europe and the United States, though, the, the beef tapeworm is uh, common because of the habit of eating undercooked steaks or other beef products. When we were at a restaurant not long ago, there was a little note on the menu that said meat can be undercooked if you request it. And it was like, yeah, no, yeah. that is a terrible idea. Stop doing that. If you'd like to have a tapeworm, let us know. Right. Also, 18% gratuity is added into your check. <laughs> Just some tidbits for mm -hmm. your restaurant knowledge. There you go. Anyway, worms. Yep. And lots of them. And now. 
that thing in the middle. Here's another edition of uh, Weird But True Craigslist ads for sale. Number five, antique hand crank woman's vibrating adult toy. Um, Amazing condition for being over 70 years old, but still works great. It was my great-grandma's, passed down to my grandma, then to my mother. My wife isn't interested in using it, so I need to sell it ASAP because I need money for Christmas. Number four, Human Soul. It's a Black Friday special. (laughs) I'm interested in selling my soul or trading it to someone that could help me acquire holiday gifts from myself and my family. I've been short on cash due to a low amount of work available here in sunny Florida and would greatly appreciate your help. Number three, coffee table of the gods. (laughs) This coffee table is perfect for someone with a cocaine habit or shooting porn videos. It's carpeted, mirrored, and the motherfucker spins. (laughs) Number two, magical horse. That's it. There's no description. It is a horse that has only been fed horseradish and cucumbers. I'm a little confused because they want $800 or albino chickens to negotiate (laughs) or $800 worth of Fred Meyer's gift cards. I'm confused. The ad ends with, in order to ensure you're not spam, please say, you have a magnificent steed on your hands I'd like to obtain. And number one, a Morrissey Shrine. My unemployment benefits have run out, and I have to downsize, so I won't be able to take my Morrissey shrine with me. That's a bummer. So is Morrissey, really. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You hear Kat and I talk a lot about aura frames, and there's a reason for that. We live in Ecuador, and our family is all over the place. In fact, Kat right now is up visiting her mom, and when I say up, I mean Maine. We got her an aura frame. So we could share photos and videos from any device, and they'll instantly appear on the frame, which makes it easy because she's getting up there in years. It's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app, and it's the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app, and if you're giving an Aura as a gift, You can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. It is the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get 30% off free shipping and their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to The Box of Oddities. Nothing better to do. Got this message from Carrie. She said, I'm a new listener to The Box of Oddities, and I just wanted to confirm what you were talking about in a recent episode about seeing 1111 everywhere. Oh, yeah. And we talked about that. And it, it was weird because actually when we were on the road, everywhere we went, we saw 1111. It was it was so strange. It, it is a phenomenon. If you didn't hear that episode, look up the 1111 phenomenon. For me, it started uh, last year while I was outside Washington, D.C. At first, I was seeing it only at work, on documents, on clocks, etc. But then I started noticing it everywhere, dresses I was walking by, totals on receipts while shopping, distance to my next destination on the GPS, where I'd appear on a guest list, and it goes on and on. I've since moved to southern Florida and it's increased exponentially. I see it almost daily. Having just noticed that today is 11-1, she wrote this on the 1st of November, mm -hmm. and for me it feels like it means that I am going in the right direction, and that if I start to stray and go down the wrong path with my career, relationship, daily habits, it starts to decrease. To Kat's point, I do also see 9-11 more often as well, but not to the extent that I see straight up ones. I like your idea of taking photos, so I will start doing that to keep a record of my ones. Thanks for the tip. I look forward to binging previous episodes. Thanks, Carrie. Welcome to the Freak Family. Thank you. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, on our trip, our tour, we were seeing it everywhere. Yeah. And then um, we had kind of a, a sad moment on the trip. Mm. Our, our friend Amber, who was traveling with us, who is glorious and sweet and helped so much. Um, uh, we, She found out while we were on the road that uh, her dog was um, not, uh, was too pure for this world. And mm. uh, he, so um, yeah. she lost her dog while we were on the trip. And so I ordered her a uh, ninja multi-purpose cooking tool. Because, because nothing <laughs> makes you feel better than a small appliance <laughs> in your times of grief. Because I don't know how to help people. <laughs> and uh, I got a little notification that said your uh, package is estimated to arrive on 11-11. There and you go. So I thought, okay, that was the right choice. Yep. And she's going to have delicious rice. Um, so there's that. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's my turn. Yeah. Here we go. Quote, the first half hour of the hour long flight from Lima to Pucalpa was uneventful. We were served a sandwich and a drink for breakfast. Ten minutes later, as the flight attendants began to clean up, we fly into a huge thunderstorm. Oof. According to this account, 
that I uh, found in Reader's Digest. Quote, Suddenly daylight turns to night. Lightning flashes from all directions. People gasp as the plane shakes violently. Bags, wrapped gifts, and clothing fall from the overhead lockers. Sandwich trays soar through the air, and half-finished drinks spill onto passengers' heads. People are screaming and crying. I see a blinding white flash over the right wing. I don't know whether it's a flash of lightning or an explosion. I lose all sense of time. The airplane begins to nosedive. From my seat in the back, I can see down the aisle into the cockpit. Oh my gosh. My ears, my head, my whole body are filled with the deep roar of the airplane. Over everything, I hear my mother saying calmly, Now it's all over. We're falling fast. People's shouts and the roar of the turbine suddenly go silent. My mother is no longer at my side, and I'm no longer in the plane. I'm still strapped into my seat on the bench at an altitude of about 10,000 feet. I'm alone, and I'm falling. My freefall is quiet. I see nothing around me. The seatbelt squeezes my belly so tight that I can't breathe. Before I feel fear, I lose consciousness. What? Is this a real thing? This is, the re this is a real thing. The day after her high school graduation, 17-year-old Julianne Kopke fell from the sky nearly two miles, still trapped to her airplane seat, into the Amazon rainforest, and she survived. Oh my God. Now this was suggested to me by one of our freaks, uh, Lisa, from uh, Washington State, I believe. And it was weird. We talk about coincidences a lot. Mm -hmm. I just finished reading this woman's autobiography. Oh, really? The book is called When I Fell from the Sky. Here is Julianne's story. She grew up in Lima, Peru, before moving at 14 to the Peruvian rainforest where her parents, Maria and Hans Wilhelm Kopke, established the Panguana Ecological Research Station. Oh, wow. Which is really cool. After two years of accompanying them on research trips to the jungle, Julianne returned to Lima to complete uh, her high school. Mm -hmm. On December 24th, 1971, Julianne, again 17, and her mother boarded a flight in Lima bound for Pucalpa, the city with an airport closest to Panguana. They were going to visit her father for Christmas. Now, in her own words, and again, this comes from Reader's Digest, I spend my vacations in Panguana and my school days with classmates in Lima. My mother preferred to fly earlier, but a school dance and my high school graduation ceremony are on December 22nd and 23rd. Um, I begged my mother to let me attend. She said, all right, we'll fly on the 24th, Christmas Eve. The airport is packed when we arrive in the morning of Christmas Eve. Several flights had been canceled the day before and hundreds of people now crowd the ticket counters. It's about 11 a.m., interestingly enough. Mm. We gather for boarding. My mother and I sit in the second to the last row on a three-seat bench. I'm by the window as always. My mother sits beside me. A heavy-set man sits in the aisle seat. Mother doesn't like flying. She's an ornithologist and says it's unnatural that a bird be made of metal. <laughs> <laughs> So the first half hour of the hour-long flight from Lima to Pucalpa is uneventful. We're served a sandwich and a drink. As the flight attendants began to clean up, we fly into this thunderstorm. Now, according to an article I found on CNN, it was actually um, fairly recent, I think uh, three, three or four years ago. She recounts more of what she recalls from it. The airline 
Lansa, L-A-N-S-A, had already lost two aircraft in previous crashes. Julianne said, we knew the airline had a bad reputation, but we desperately wanted to be with my father for Christmas. So sure. we figured it'd be all right. The flight was supposed to last, last for less than an hour. And for the first 25 minutes, everything was fine. Then we flew into heavy clouds and the plane started shaking. My mother was very nervous. Then to the right of me, I saw that bright flash and the plane went into that nosedive. My mother says, this is it. An accident investigation later found that one of the fuel tanks of the Lockheed Electra had been hit by a bolt of lightning and had torn the right wing oh, wow. off the plane. So she said, we were heading straight down. Christmas presents were flying all around the cabin. I could hear people screaming. As the plane broke into pieces in midair, Kopke was thrust out into the open air. Quote, oh. suddenly there was this amazing silence. The plane was gone. I must have been unconscious and then came to in midair. I was flying, spinning through the air, and I could see the forest spinning beneath me, like green cauliflower, like broccoli is how I described it later on, because she was falling into the friggin' Amazon jungle. Right. Ooh. I think that the idea that it was quiet mm. is the most yeah. upsetting for me. She lost consciousness again while she was still falling. She fell nearly two miles. 10, How 000... long does it take to fall two miles? I mean, there's the math's got to be there. Yeah, I'm sure. Siri, how long would it take to fall two miles? Here's what I found. So one source says about 40 seconds. Yeah. Uh, the other source says about 60 seconds. 50 it is. Uh, so, yep, that seems wow. right. Okay. Wow, that's fast. So she's falling for two miles into the jungle canopy and survives with only minor injuries. 91 other people aboard the flight died. She was the only one to survive. Oh, that's a wonderful slash terrible thing. She said she's not a spiritual person and has tried to find logical explanations for why she survived. Quote, maybe it was the fact that I was still attached to the whole row of seats. So that like protected her body? Yes. And it was rotating so much like a helicopter that maybe it slowed the oh. fall to the ground. Oh, God. I bet she threw up. Also... The place I landed had very thick foliage, and that might have lessened the impact. In any case, she survived with only minor injuries. Her collarbone was broken, her right eye swollen shut. She was suffering a concussion and had had some uh, gashes on her arms and legs. I imagine you'd get a concussion. Yeah, I got mm. a concussion from headbanging once. So that's <laughs> hardly falling two miles out of the sky. Was that at the Pantera concert? No, it was at a headbanging contest. I didn't realize that that was officially sanctioned. <laughs> Did you win? No. Oh, God. Amber got second place. So she regains full consciousness on the floor of the Amazon jungle early Christmas morning. Wow. She said, I didn't wake up until about nine o'clock the next morning. Her watch was still working. So I must have been unconscious the whole afternoon and night. When I came to, I was alone, just me and my row of seats. Now, her mother was strapped next to her. That seat was empty. She told Vice Magazine, I had a serious concussion, so I couldn't sit up. My eye was swollen. I was lying beneath my seat, and I wasn't strapped in anymore. I could see a bit of forest, but also a bit of sky. I knew that I'd survived a plane crash. The concussion and the shock only let me realize just basic facts. Right. She couldn't 
find the strength to get up. So she just laid on the floor of the jungle for about 12 more hours before attempting to seek help. I mean, I would imagine that your body has just experienced so much. It's not letting you intentionally. It's saying, whoa, you need to stop. Just lie here for a bit. Yeah. She said, I feel dizzy again. I lie exhausted on the rainforest floor. After a while, I managed to rise to my knees, but I feel so dizzy that I immediately lay back down again. I try again. Eventually, I'm able to hold myself in that position. I touch my right collarbone. It's clearly broken. I find a deep gash on my left calf, which looks as if it's been cut by a rough metal edge. But strangely, it's not bleeding. Did that have something to do with the intense spinning in the air, too? Like... I know maybe when I, they're separating like centrifugal, blood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a giant centrifuge. Uh, it, it does not say. She said she got down on all fours and she was searching for her mother. I called my, I called her name, but the only other voices I could hear were the voices of the jungle. Oh my goodness. Now she was lucky in many ways, not the least of which the fact that she had lived in the jungle for years with her parents. And her parents had taught her how to survive in the jungle. You're going to want to get that leg gash covered. Yeah. She said that that she was working really hard to extract that knowledge from her brain-rattled head. She knew that she knew what she needed to do. Right. But she was having a hard time extracting the information from her concussion-fogged head. Suddenly, she said, I'm seized by intense thirst. Thick drops of water sparkle on the leaves around me. I lick them up. I walk in small circles around my seat, aware of how quickly you can lose your orientation in the jungle. I memorize the location and the markings of one tree to keep my bearings. I find no trace of the crash near me, no wreckage, no people, but I discovered a bag of candy that had fallen from the plane, so I eat a piece. Oh, wow. Rescue planes and search crews were unable to locate the crash site initially. Kopke was stranded in the jungle alone. That's terrifying. The Amazon is nothing to fuck with. Yeah. And she doesn't have any idea how deep into the forest no. she is. I mean, she only has a general idea of how long they've been flying for. So they must have been about, what, halfway? You know, there's there's so much unknown there. That's terrifying. She's 17. Plus, you don't know where that candy came from. You're just guessing that it came from the plane. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> She remembered that her father said if she got lost in the jungle to find a creek and follow it because that will lead to a stream and a stream will lead to a bigger river and that's where you'll find help. Of course. So the day after the crash, she found a creek and started to wade downstream. It was pretty tough going. The only food she had was the candy and uh, some insects that she uh, Mm -hmm. found along the way and her wounds became infected. Of course. The cut on on her arm after a few days, she said she could feel something was inside of it. Yeah. She said, I took a look and it was full of maggots. Yeah. I was afraid I'd lose my arm. But they actually would keep it clean, right? Isn't that a good thing? (sighs) Because rather, wouldn't they keep the infection from taking hold? I don't know if that's... Because they eat the, the... The dead stuff, right? I know that there's some sort of medical treatment that involves that and or leeches. Ugh, why? Why would you have to bring that up? <laughs> it's funny to me that you're okay with maggots, but leeches bug you. <laughs> That's gross. 
Look. So, and she she said that the uh, the hole in her arm was about the size of a one euro coin, and there looked to be about like fifty maggots in there. Holy shit! And she didn't know how that was possible that so many could get crammed in there. So she continued to travel downstream. She uh, and she discovered some wreckage from the plane. She found some of the crash victims. Oh, jeez. Quote, I found another row of seats with three dead women still strapped in. They had landed head first and the impact was so hard that they were buried almost two feet into the ground. I was horrified. I did not want to touch them, but I wanted to make sure that my mother wasn't one of them. So I took a stick and I knocked a shoe off of one of the bodies. The toenails had nail polish on them and I knew it could not have been my mother because she never wore nail polish. So she continues through the rainforest. She wades down the jungle streams that are infested with crocodiles. Of course. And piranhas and devil rays. Also great for keeping infection away. At one point, to avoid the piranhas, she um, created like a makeshift raft out of some some logs and pulled her way down the stream. Oh, wow. She was quite ingenious. She said, I tried to follow the rivulet closely, but there were often tree trunks lying across it or dense, dense undergrowth that would block my way. But little Little by little, the rivulet grows wider and it turns into a stream, which is partly dry, so that I can easily walk beside the water. Around six o'clock, it gets dark, and I look in the stream bed for a protected spot where I can spend the night, and I eat another candy. On December 28th, my watch stops for good, so I try to count the days as I go. The stream turns into a larger stream, and then finally into a small river. Now, it was rainy season, and there was barely any fruit to pick, and I've eaten all my candy. I don't have a knife to use to hack palm hearts out of the stems of palm trees, nor can I catch fish or cook roots. I don't dare eat anything else. Much of what grows in the jungle is poisonous, so I keep my hands off what I don't recognize, but I do drink a great deal of water from the stream. So she's trying to count the days, but she's not really sure how many days it's been. She thinks it was December 29th or 30th, either the 5th or the 6th day. She hears a buzzing, a groaning sound that immediately turns her mood into euphoria. It's the unmistakable call of the Hotsin, a subtropical bird. I love the Hotsin. We've talked about the Hotsin. They're amazing. This bird And they ne- smell like butt. I bet the smell was great yeah. for her. It's a subtropical bird that nests exclusively near open stretches of water where people settle. At her home in Panguana, she heard that call often, so she knew she was getting closer to a large river. See, that's really interesting, knowing that they only settle near to where people settle. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. So she picks up the pace. She follows the sound. Finally, she's standing on the bank of this large river, but there's nobody in sight. She says she can hear planes in the distance. And she's thinking that maybe there's search planes that are looking for wreckage or, mm. or survivors, but they just kept the sound just fades away and it gives her the impression that she's just being abandoned, that they've given up. Oh. It was a feeling of total despair and anger. But she did not give up. Where there's a river, there were people. There had to be people close by. She continues her trek. She encounters caimans, which are alligator like reptiles. Yeah. She sees devil rays. She sees plenty of piranha. Sure. Each night when the sun sets, she looks for a safe place on the bank to try to sleep. Mosquitoes, of course, are just terrible. About 10 days into her ordeal, she's just floating in the water in the evening. How is she still alive? This is incredible. She finds a gravel bank that looks like a good place to sleep. So she dozes off for a few minutes. And when she awakes, 
she sees something that she knows doesn't belong there. It, it's a boat. And she thinks that she's hallucinating. Sure. So she closes her eyes and looks back and it's still there. It's a boat. She swims over and she touches it. She says, only then can I really believe it. So she finds a trail. She follows this trail. She's very weak. It takes her up a hill and it takes her a, a few hours. When she gets to the top, she sees a small shelter, but no people. It's a shack in the middle of a forest. She's certain that the owner of the boat will emerge at any moment. This is her hope, and you know, but it gets darker, and so she spends the night there alone. The next morning, at least, uh, like inside the shack. Yes. So that's nice. That's a yeah, yeah, a, a relief in some ways. It's I imagine got to be something. She wakes up. There's still nobody there. It begins to rain. She stays in the shelter. She wraps herself in a uh, in a tarp. She finds a can of diesel, and she takes the diesel and she pours it on her maggot wounds. To kill the maggots, oh. which is something that, again, her father had taught her. That's incredible. To do. I keep saying that, but honestly. As twilight approaches, she hears voices. She thinks she's imagining them, but the voices get closer. Three men come out of the jungle and they stop in shock. And she says, I'm a girl who was in the Lanza crash. She said this in Spanish. My name is Julianne. Forestry workers. Discovered her on January 3rd. Oh, my gosh. Thir- uh, 11 days in the rainforest. 11. 11 days. And she delivered. She was delivered to safety. Uh, again, 91 people, including Julianne's mother, died in the crash. She was the only survivor. She was reunited with her father, where she learns more information about the plane crash. Mm-hmm. And uh, as time went on, she discovered that her mother had survived the impact of the crash but was so badly injured um, that she couldn't move, and she died days later. Investigators found the cause of the crash was caused by intentional flight into hazardous weather conditions. Oh, no. The years, and again, this was 71, they have not dampened the horror that she feels. In a recent CNN interview, she said the events of 71 still haunt her. She said the memories are especially clear when she's confronted with current airplane disasters. When sure. when a plane goes down, it, it just, it must cause so much traumatic reliving of emotion. Yeah. She says, it horrifies me. I only hope it all went quickly for those on board. And um, her book is called, When I Fell from the Sky, and you can find it Pretty much everywhere. I, I, I got the ebook on Amazon. Wow. Um, I also quoted uh, interviews with her from Reader's Digest, CNN, and Vice Magazine. Julianne Kopke. That is an amazing story. Why did you let me talk about worms for as long as I did? <laughs> That's just the way we roll. <laughs> yeah, so I have the book if you want to read it. It's yes, really fascinating. That's, She's that's fascinating, though. I've got to say that. You know, parts of that, just you recounting, it was a little rough. Well, we just got off uh, a series of plane flights ourselves, and I don't know about you, but when I get on a plane, I immediately uh, try to envision how the hell I'm going to get out if it goes down, which <laughs> which you're supposed to anyway, but I dwell on it more than I probably should. <laughs> and we sat in the uh, in the exit aisle mm. on the last flight, yep. too, so I was planning on, okay, well... I'll pull the door. I'll get that open. I'll make sure that uh, the cat's out and she's safe. And then I'll pull Amber out. And let's be honest. We all know that it would be me taking care of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had it. I got it myself. Let me do it. <laughs> Honey, you're not even doing it right. No, I have it. You ain't got no legs. Come on. Let me help. 
Oh, and speaking of airplanes, can I just say TSA pre-approval is the... Don't tell people, then they'll oh, get it yeah. and more people will do it. Yeah, forget I even mentioned it. Anyway, we look forward to seeing you next time. Oh, that's it? That's just it. wrapping it yep. right up. Yep. Okay. Yep. The show drops in two hours and I got editing to do. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Until then, <laughs> keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.